PTJ podcasts are made possible by the American Physical Therapy Association. Physical therapists diagnose and treat people of all ages with all types of health conditions to help keep them moving and functioning in daily life. Welcome to the CrickCast from Physical Therapy. Each month, PTJ Editor-in-Chief Dr. Rebecca Crick offers her take on the articles appearing in this month's PTJ. Here is Rebecca Crick. Hello, this is Rebecca Crake, Editor-in-Chief of Physical Therapy, and I am delighted to be here to share with you the November issue. This is the final standard issue of this year because the December issue will be a special issue on critical care. This issue begins with a leap, which I think some of you know is a linking evidence and practice where we try to take some sort of a systematic review, most commonly a Cochrane review, and try and apply it to a specific patient. And I found this month's LEAP particularly interesting. The Cochrane review that was done was on the value or benefit of exercise rehabilitation in persons who have acute heart failure. One of the interesting comments in this paper is that in 2004, it was not possible to do a Cochrane review because there was not sufficient research to synthesize. So the review that was done by Davies in 2010 had really demonstrated a significant growth in research associated with acute heart failure and exercise rehabilitation. The Cochrane Review suggests that exercising doesn't increase the mortality in persons in acute heart failure, which was the first question that had to be asked. The number of hospitalizations in persons who exercised with acute heart failure was significantly less and the quality of life was improved. So I hope that you'll enjoy reading the Cochrane Review and then see the application of the findings from the review in a very interesting patient case. The next article is a randomized control trial conducted by a team in Italy led by Francesco Iopolo about extracorporeal shockwave therapy. Extracorporeal shockwave therapy is still controversial. There's mixed evidence in the literature about the value of this particular modality. The study examined two different energy levels. And when I think about these sonic pulses, I think of the energy flux density as frequency. So I'm going to think about it as frequency and hope that that helps you understand what the authors were doing. The purpose of the randomized controlled trial was to compare two different frequencies of the shockwave therapy. There are two interesting findings. First of all, the higher frequency of shockwave therapy appeared to be more effective. Secondly, 50% of the sample ended up with a reduction or loss of their calcium deposit. And then finally, I would say this is a great beginning, but the study is a very small sample and the study lacks a control group. So stay tuned. The next research report is by Emily Slavin from the University of Indianapolis, and it is a prediction of functional outcome at six months following total hip arthroplasty. I'm not going to say very much at all about this article because we're going to be doing a podcast on it, so I will say listen to the podcast. Margaret Shankman from the University of Colorado and her colleagues present a randomized control trial entitled Exercise for People in Early and Mid-Stage Parkinson's Disease. 
This is a really excellent study. I hope you enjoy reading it. I certainly did. There are 121 individuals who were recruited into the study with Honan-Yara stages 1 through 3. The randomized control trial looks at three arms. One group, which they call the flexibility, balance, and functional exercise group, performs what you would expect, some spinal and extremity flexibility exercises, balance exercises, and functional training. The second group is an aerobic exercise group. And the third group, which was viewed as a control group, did a home program that has been described by the National Parkinson Foundation and is entitled Fitness Counts. So they did the intervention three days per week for four months and then monthly for a total of 16 months. All right, so this is a long exercise program that was examined. When the exercise had been completed for three times a week, and the participants were about to begin the monthly exercise program, the FBF group had the greatest improvement in the overall physical function score. At a later point and at the end of the trial assessment, the aerobic exercise group maintained the most efficient walking economy. So as usual, Dr. Shankman and her colleagues write a very thoughtful discussion about the results of this study. So thank you for this wonderful paper. The next research report is by Bales and Sukhope from Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center. Now, this is an interesting study because it's a cross-sectional description of 425 persons with cerebral palsy that were seen during a one-year period in a hospital. The patients reported on in the study ranged in age from 1 to 33 years. And it's truly a descriptive study of the characteristics of persons who are receiving physical therapy at that particular hospital. I think the value of this type of study will be to then compare the effect of intervention, to talk about utilization of healthcare services for the patients with cerebral palsy. I think there are lots of studies that can follow this initial descriptive study. So I thank the authors for submitting it to the journal. The next study by Black and All from the University of Utah is entitled Personal Health Behaviors and Role Modeling Attitudes of Physical Therapists and Physical Therapist Students. And this research report basically is saying if you're trying to teach your patients to be healthy, then the physical therapist and the students should also demonstrate healthy behaviors. The surprising finding was that physical therapist students were more likely to believe that role modeling was a powerful teaching tool than the physical therapists themselves. So I think you'll find that part of the study very interesting. The next study by Mohammed Alway is entitled Extended Exercise Rehabilitation After Hip Fracture Improves Patients' Physical Function. This is both a systematic review and a meta-analysis. And I really enjoyed it. I encourage you to look at figure two, where there are a series of forest plots presented for each of the outcome measures that were included in the studies. Underneath each of the outcome measures are the studies that use that particular outcome measure. So, for example, if we look at balance and the effect of exercise intervention in persons post-hip fracture, we see the effect size for the individual studies. We see the pooled effect size as well. It's a nice way to summarize the findings across the studies. 
the bottom line of this review is that extended rehabilitation does improve outcome in persons post-hip fracture. So I think it's a powerful statement that comes out of this study that is really well conducted. The next paper by Han Houdijk and colleagues from the University of Amsterdam is entitled Assessing Gait Adaptability in People with a Unilateral Amputation on an Instrumented Treadmill with a Projected Visual Context. I really enjoyed reading this paper, and I'm going to step back for a moment from the journal and talk to you about Aftab Patla. It's P-A-T-L-A. He's referenced in the reference list. Dr. Patla died in 2008 of a very aggressive brain tumor at middle age. He was an electrical engineer and a kinesiologist and was a faculty member for at least 25 years at the University of Waterloo in Canada. And he was the first person that I was aware of who was interested in this gait adaptability and studied subjects while they walked over objects that were unexpectedly presented to them. And so it's just so exciting to me to see these authors take that type of work and continue it. So thank you, authors, for honoring Dr. Patla. The final article in the November issue is by Stephen Jernigan and his colleagues. The title of the paper is Diagnostic Accuracy of Fall Risk Assessment Tools in People with Diabetic Peripheral Neuropathy. This, I think, is a great teaching tool. The paper is really well presented. The sample is small, but the purpose of the study is to examine four different instruments to determine whether any of these four different instruments are better at doing functional mobility fall risk assessment. It's a great discussion. It's a paper that will help you understand likelihood ratios better. I'm not a fan of sensitivity and specificity. I'm a real fan of the likelihood ratios, and I think this paper helps you understand their value. So please enjoy reading this article as much as I did. In closing, please stay tuned for the December special issue. I hope you are looking forward to the critical care issue as much as I am. Thanks for listening. If you have a question for Dr. Craig, email ptj at apta.org and be sure to include Craigcast in the subject line. This is a production of Science Audio, online at www.scienceaudio.net.